2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 15. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in, le in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Good morning, everyone. And uh, good morning to you in... Uh internet land. It's great to have you uh, joining us as well. Uh, hope that you're, uh, if you're not well, and that's why you're watching us online, um, we hope you get well soon and uh, uh, look forward to seeing you back in fellowship here in church uh, when you're able to do so. Uh, well, we've prayed for the kids' church. Uh, let's pray for ourselves, shall we? Uh, Father in heaven, we, uh, again, we want to thank, thank you so much for uh, revealing yourself and your will to us through your word. Uh, we pray now that um, by your Holy Spirit that you would give us uh, a, a clear thinking and uh, soft hearts that we would uh, understand, that we would believe and that we would obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear sir, I am the cousin of a Nigerian astronaut who in 1989 went on a space mission to a secret Soviet space station at about the same time that the Soviet Union uh, collapsed, which meant that the other astronauts had to return to Earth immediately, and they left my cousin there, <laughs> and he wants to come home. It will cost my family $3 million dollars for a space mission to retrieve him. 
Uh, fortunately, <laughs> he is owed 20 million US dollars in back pay, <laughs> which we are able to use to finance the space mission, but we need a bank account. <laughs> and would love to use, your, use yours, for which we will pay you $3 million commission. Uh, I look forward to your reply. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face, but I've got to be honest with you, that is, a, uh, that is my summary of a real uh, internet email scam. Can you believe it? I mean, um, who would believe it? Who would believe it? It's so hilarious. Who would be fooled by something like that? Apparently someone. <laughs> but what is less obvious uh, is the text message that I get from my bank uh, on what is part of a genuine uh, text conversation thread with my bank uh, where the text tells me that they've detected a breach in my account and I have to phone their security department as soon as possible on the following number. It looks genuine. It looks real. Uh, the person on the phone when I call sounds like they are the real thing as well. But unless I am very alert, what do you think is about to happen to me? I'm about to lose a lot of money. A lot of money. Because the best con artists, they don't look like con artists, do they? They don't. They look and they sound and they seem to be credible. They are masters at that. And we can be fooled unless we know the red flags, the warning signs which tell us that this person is not who they claim to be. It's true not just in the world of uh, money and scams, but it's uh, true in other arenas of life as well, including one uh, where what is at risk is something more than our financial security, but our spiritual security. For in today's churches, there are spiritual scammers, uh, influential people who draw others away from salvation in Jesus. Now, someone might say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. How absurd. I mean, uh, you know, every church leader I've ever known is, is on about God and on about Jesus and on about the Bible. And, you know, how could they be frauds? And we might imagine someone in the uh, church in Corinth thinking the same way about these things, about some of the, uh, the leader types who have arrived uh, in their congregation who believed in God and who believed in the scriptures and who believed in Jesus. Uh, they seemed to know their Old Testaments very well and they were very charming and their preaching, well, uh, you could listen to them all day. So engaging, so eloquent, so impressive. And yet in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 our passage today, which you might want to have open in front of you, the Apostle Paul delivers a very frank assessment of these people. Uh, these people for whom the close relationship between the Corinthian church and, and Paul uh, was an obstacle 
uh, in their own uh, leadership aspirations. And so they, uh, they, they sought to separate Paul from the Corinthian church. They disparaged Paul as being unimpressive and, and foolish and maybe even, or maybe even jealous. And so how does Paul respond to this? <laughs> well, uh, in verse 1, uh, he, he says, well, yeah, maybe guilty as charged. He, he kind of goes along with it. Uh, have a look at verse 1. He says, I hope you will put up with, my, with a little of my foolishness, but you already are doing that. And he says, I am jealous. But jealous about what? Well, he is jealous for them. He is jealous for them. You see, jealousy often means being resentful for what somebody else has that we don't have. But jealousy can also mean being protective of what we do actually have. Uh, a man, a husband, uh, can, uh, should be jealous for his wife, should be jealous for his family, for their well-being, that no one would, uh, would, would bring harm to them. And Paul was protective of these Christians. <clears throat> After all, uh, think about the relationship. It was Paul who had first brought the gospel to Corinth, but when he did so, when he preached the gospel to non-Christians in, in Corinth, uh, he didn't do so for his own ego, did he? He didn't do, do so for himself. Rather, in verse 2, he says he saw himself as, as being like a, a matchmaker. He is a matchmaker. Check out verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I promised you to one husband, to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Uh, what is Paul? Paul is a matchmaker where Christ is the groom and the bride-to-be is the church. People like us. In, the, in that case, the Corinthians. A, a matchmaker who now sees uh, that the church is being seduced and is now dangerously close to being unfaithful to the groom, unfaithful to Jesus. Now, to seduce uh, means to, uh, to cause someone to do something which they otherwise would not do by making that thing look very attractive. Is that a reasonable uh, definition of seduction? It is deceptive. Uh, it is cunning, uh, it is what uh, Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Where uh, you notice in the Garden of Eden that uh, Satan didn't turn up you know, looking like a demon with uh, pointy ears and a, and a pitchfork, did he? No, he turned up looking like one of the, any, any one of the, the, the creatures, the animals that you would expect to find in a garden like that as a serpent who lured Eva away from God by promising her something better than God, something better. And that is Paul's concern now for the Corinthians. Let me read to you verse 3. 
But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches, to Je- to, uh, preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Now, notice that um, he's, we know who he's referring to, don't we? Uh, the people who they are putting up with in their congregation and putting up not just, uh, uh, you know, um, in a, uh, putting up with these people very easily. Uh, they, uh, they, they're quite happy to have them in the congregation. And notice that these people, they, they do teach about Jesus, don't they? They do teach about the spirit. They do teach about the gospel. I mean, if they didn't, then the scam would be pretty obvious, wouldn't it? But what do they teach about Jesus or the spirit or the gospel? False teachers will sound credible because they use the language and the, and the concepts of the Bible, but what they mean by those words is actually something different to what the Bible's saying. Um, the Corinthians, in verse 1, we see that they, Paul says that they put up with him as a fool, whilst in verse 4 they, they easily put up with people who preached a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel from these impressive preachers in Corinth. But what qualities in church leaders are truly impressive? You know, uh, <clears throat> about 20 or so years ago, uh, I, with my family, we visited a, a church one Sunday when we were away uh, where the, the preacher had such a commanding presence and had such clarity in communication that I can still remember his sermon. And I got it, that's, that in itself is impressive because I can't remember my sermon from last week, <laughs> let alone, you know. And so his sermon from 20 years ago, but one of the reasons, I remember it for all of those reasons, but another reason I remember is because he preached a false gospel. It was a motivational uh, life coach type of uh, uh, pep talk with a kind of a Christian coating <laughs> over it. These uh, super apostles in Corinth, as, as Paul calls them, they had plenty of charisma. They had plenty of that. But what we should value uh, is not so much charisma, but convictions and character. Um, regarding convictions, in verse 5, Paul says, look, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. Who would you rather listen to? Someone with the gift of the gab or someone who actually knows what they're talking about? <laughs> Paul had knowledge. Paul had true knowledge, but more than that, he believed what he was saying. He was convinced, he was convicted by the truths of the gospel of Jesus. Um, regarding character, remember Corinth uh, is in Greece and uh, in ancient Greece was the home of philosophers, wasn't it? And uh, it was common, uh, even in the first century, 
uh, for trained speakers to earn their, uh, earn their income by uh, travelling around to different towns and cities and uh, entertaining people with their talks on whatever idea, whatever concept that they were spruiking and Greeks expected to pay them for that. Um, when I first came to this church 25 plus years ago, it was the practice when we did a funeral uh, to charge the grieving family money. Can you believe that? A fee. That was, I don't know, it was $150 or something like that. We stopped that practice because at a funeral we, we want to share the gospel with people who need Jesus. We don't want to make money from them. We don't want them to have to pay for the church's bills. No, we want to share the gospel. We want people to hear about Jesus and the hope that he gives for eternal life through Christ. In Acts chapter 18, when Paul took the gospel to Corinth, he didn't want them as non-Christians uh, to pay him. He didn't expect non-Christians whom he was evangelising to foot the bill. No, he, instead he got a job. Uh, he, he worked as a tent maker, uh, which was manual labour, uh, which uh, uh, many, uh, you know, in middle class kind of people in uh, Corinth would have uh, looked down upon because, you know, a, a, a speaker uh, shouldn't be doing manual labour, let alone making tents which are made from leather. And if you know how leather's made, you'll understand why that's considered to be a pretty dirty kind of job. Um, just think about what they soak the skin in to get the fur off and you'll know what I'm talking about. So Paul actually got a job rather than charging non-Christians to hear the gospel. And when he was in need, he was established, he was uh, assisted um, materially by established Christians uh, in Macedonia, which is to the north of Athens, um, particularly probably the, the church in Philippi. That is, he didn't make money from people he was evangelising. That was Paul's policy. Because in verse 7, the gospel needs to be offered to non-Christians at what price? At what charge? Zero. Nothing. Free of charge. But now, in verses 7 through to 11... It seems that the Corinthians, no doubt influenced by the impressive newcomers, are using that policy, that practice at Paul, um, of Paul's, they are using that now against him. Why didn't he accept our money? Our money not good enough for him or something like that. Does he not love us? They're using it against him, which of course is nonsense. Uh, for one thing, Paul never wanted to be a burden upon them. In verse 11, he says, God knows I love you. God knows that I love you. It's just that he doesn't want non-Christians to have to pay him to hear the gospel. And back then, that was them. They were non-Christians at that time. But now these Corinthians 
are Christians. And so next time he visits them, uh, he should be happy to receive uh, financial support from them, right? Well, you'd expect so, but no, actually, no. <laughs> He's decided that when he is with them next time, he is going to continue to minister to them free of charge. Now, why would he do that? I mean, as an apostle, he has a right to receive an income from, from ministry. He makes that clear in 1 Corinthians, but he's decided that next time he visits them, he's going to continue his practice of ministering to them free of charge. And the reason is this, the reason is because the super apostles are not equal to Paul. Check it out, verse 12. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. Now, it does seem that these impressive newcomers in Corinth were receiving support from the church. Uh, uh, later on in verse 20, which we'll look at next, next time, uh, Paul speaks of them as exploiting and taking advantage of the church. Um, in chapter 2, he speaks of people who peddle the word of God for profit. And so if Paul, arriving again in Corinth to minister amongst them, received financial support from the church, just as the so-called super-apostles were, were receiving, then what claim could they make about themselves? We're the same as Paul. I mean, uh, you know, um, you know, he gets paid by you, we get paid by you. Uh, we too are apostles. We too are gospel workers. We too are equal to him. You know, Paul would rather work with his hands making tents for his living uh, than to allow them to make that claim. He wants to cut away Cut, cut the ground from under them by taking away that possibility of that claim that they would make. Also says something of his uh, authenticity and his commitment that he's actually prepared to do gospel ministry without exploiting these people as they were. And why does he take such, such a strong stand against them? Well, verse 13... He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserved. Wow, that's pretty uh, scathing, isn't it? That's pretty, uh, pretty clear. Uh, and I want you to think about this. Uh, when you think about Satan attacking the church, what are the sorts of things which, which typically come from, to mind? We often think of those things that are going on outside of the church, don't we? You know, of um, persecution from uh, people and, uh, you know, for government, um, ungodly governments and their policies and the laws that seem to... Uh, be uh, undermining us and so on. Um, yep, sometimes that's, that happens. And that's obvious though, isn't it? That's obvious. What is less obvious is when Satan works from the inside. 
And what is less obvious is the, is the person that Satan puts in the pulpit or at the microphone, at the person with the titles of reverend or pastor, the eloquent preacher, the gifted congregation member who looks and sounds and seems to be the real thing. In fact, 95% of what they teach about God may be biblical. Um, and all of us will have things that we believe and teach about God that are you know, not quite biblical yet. But what if the 5% that they, of what they teach which is not biblical is actually the gospel? What if it's the gospel? Uh, they won't think of themselves as servants of Satan, but Satan is the father of all lies. And I don't want to teach you how to lie, but the art of effective lying is to, is to pack as much of the truth as you possibly can around the kernel of the lie so that you can seem genuine. 95% truth, 5% a different gospel. It's cunning, it's deceptive and it's difficult sometimes to see. I spent some time a little while ago with a uh, church leader, um, lovely man, you know, very warm, very kind, uh, very, very smart guy as well, um, very spiritual. And yet uh, I'd known him for a little while and I, I kind of sensed that, you know, we, there was something, something wrong there, that, that we weren't quite on the same page. And so in this particular time we spent together, I just spoke to him about what, what I thought were the key truths of the gospel. And to my disappointment, he strongly rejected. He dismissed what I was saying as being simplistic, a simplistic message. His mask at that moment was removed. His mask was removed. You know, when I say to people that I, I do not recommend particular churches or particular leaders, I, I usually have a good reason for that. It's one thing to preach Jesus, but is he the Jesus who is God in the flesh, who, who died as a substitute for our sins and who will come again in judgment? There are senior church leaders who don't believe those things, who don't believe that the death of Jesus on the cross actually pays the penalty for human sin because they actually don't believe in sin and they don't believe in judgment. But they use all of the same terminology that the Bible uses. And they have titles, they have robes, they have positions. And it's one thing to boast about the works of the Spirit, but is he the Spirit who convicts us of our sin, uh, who draws us to faith in Christ and who leads us in truth and in godliness? Or do they teach 
a spirit of strange mystical experiences which actually shifts the gospel away from the centre of the Christian life and thereby actually drawing us away from Jesus. And what do they mean by the gospel anyway? Uh, is it the good news that we can be forgiven by God through Christ Jesus alone? Or is it this good news of Jesus plus our good works for salvation? Which was the case in Corinth. The Corinthians were at risk of being drawn away uh, by a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. How can we make sure that we're not fooled by that in that same kind of way? Well, how can you, how can you spot a counterfeit? I have a collection of old coins at my place. I'm a bit of a coin collector. One of my coins, I know, is a counterfeit. How about that? I, <clears throat> I kind of knew it was a counterfeit when I was buying it because I, you know, rather than buying it from the uh, reputable dealers as I normally do and pay, paying the good money that I normally do, this guy was just coming through town. He seemed like a dodgy dealer and the coin was uh, at a <laughs> too low a price and... And the room was dark, I couldn't see what I was buying, but I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll just buy it anyway. <laughs> and uh, took it home and I thought, you know, this, this, looks, this looks counterfeit. And uh, I'll check that. I got on the internet, took me five minutes on the internet. Yep, that's a counterfeit. It was easy. But what is the old-fashioned way of uh, determining something is a counterfeit, of knowing that it's a fake? Well... It's by knowing the real thing, isn't it? By knowing the real thing, and by knowing the real thing really well, we're able to actually spot the fake. How do you, how do you know what's the best way of, of detecting a lie? It's by knowing the truth, isn't it? Friends, we need to make sure that we know the truth. We need to, to make sure that we know the genuine article. We need to make sure that we have a clear understanding of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what he's done for us on the cross and of what it really means to trust in him and to live for him. By our reading of the scriptures, by our getting together in small groups in Bible study, by our paying attention in church, we need to know the genuine article, otherwise we'll be scammed. And also, by the way, helps to value leaders, not according to their charisma, but according to their convictions and their character lived amongst you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, uh, we want to, this, is a, this is a challenging passage. And uh, Paul is saying some pretty uh, strong things here. Uh, but, Father, this is strong medicine that we need. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, we wouldn't be naive, uh, that we would uh, recognise that Satan is around and he aims to deceive and that deception uh, comes in the form of that which we don't suspect. 
So we pray, Father God, that uh, each one of us here would uh, be serious in our commitment to uh, the gospel, to understanding it and to living it, and that we wouldn't be afraid to call out false gospels and to stay away from them. Father, we pray that uh, you would continue to uh, build us up in the solid truth of who Jesus is, that we would grow in him and be men and women who live our lives honouring and serving him. We pray in his name. Amen.